Hi, everyone. I'm Lindsay Barr of Draft Lab Sensory Software, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest is Avery Swanson of Keeping Together, and she's here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. First, please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media at All About Beer. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into the conversation in just a moment, but first this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, so a bit about my guest today, Avery Swanson, is the founder and beer maker of Keeping Together, a brewing endeavor started in Chicago, Illinois, that she is currently reimagining into a brewery and tap room set to open in 2024 in the beautiful high desert of Santa Fe, New Mexico. She's one of only 22 Master Cicerones, the beer world equivalent of wine, wine's Master Psalm distinction, and is a co-owner and the former head brewer of world-renowned Jester King Brewery in Austin, Texas. She is a leader in the American wild and spontaneous beer production. Avery has spoken at numerous beer and brewing conferences around the world and continues to contribute to the beer industry at large uh, beer competitions, judging, teaching, consulting, all that stuff. She is all over the place and I'm so excited to have this conversation. So thanks for being here, Avery. Thank you so much for having me. I am so stoked to be here and as always stoked to talk to you, Lindsay, my dear. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Avery and I go back uh, quite a few years. We were just preparing for this podcast and trying to figure out when we last, when we first met. And I think it was at a CBC um, in like 20, I don't know, 15, 14, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it was at the Washington DC one. So it would have been, yeah, like maybe 2015, 2016. 
yeah, it's been they all a, kind of blur together, you know, <laughs> they really do. Um, and of course I'm good friends with your now husband, um, yes. Pat Fahey. He's so wonderful. Um, and you guys are joining us or you are joining us from Santa Fe. So it's good to see you. Yes. Good to see you too. Yeah. So, um, let's just hop right into it. Shall we? Um, Why not? I, I mean, we'll have an organic conversation, but I do want to ask you a couple of questions that I just haven't had the chance to ask you. Um, so your bio, of course, really speaks for itself. Um, but one thing really sticks out to me and it's your choice to use the title beer maker instead of brewmaster. Uh, that's obviously intentional. Um, so can you tell me just what, what was, what went on with that and why did you choose to use that language? Yeah. You know, I really don't consider myself to be a brewmaster. I feel like brewmaster is a very heavy weighty title. Um, and you know, I know there are certain schools in Germany that certify people to be brewmasters and I didn't go to school to become a beer maker or a brewmaster. Um, and I'm also well aware of how much I don't know when it comes to brewing science. And so I don't, I don't know, I don't really feel like brewmaster is appropriate for myself. Um, beyond that beer maker kind of feels it just feels right to me. It kind of encompasses both hot side brewing um, skill as well as cold side cellaring fermentation. Um, and though I do really love brewing like hot side process, um, I think probably the most important part of what I do is shepherding and collaborating with yeast and that I don't feel like falls necessarily under the title of brewmaster or brewer. Yeah, so it's kind of more of a holistic, all-encompassing title um, where you, you kind of do all of it. Yeah, yeah, I should probably, my computer tells me that it's a misspelled word all the time. I should probably just absorb that into the dictionary in my computer because it drives me yes. crazy. But um, I do like it as just like a one word, very simple title um, that doesn't have a whole lot of like, emotional connotation or heft to it. Yeah. I like the humility that goes with it. Um, you know, it's like beers should be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I agree completely. Not so seriously. <laughs> so I think you, you're very clearly like not taking it super seriously, but are also really, um, you know, intentional about your use of, use of language and how you make beer. Um, so I, I appreciate it. Didn't really know what to expect you to say on that one. Um, and I'm kind of actually like a little surprised because my my mind is just like, stop being so humble. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you are all of the things, but I also, I can appreciate the humility. Like maybe let's not take ourselves so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I very much enjoy what I do, but I recognize that like I... I can't make beer in a vacuum. It requires, it's a very collaborative process, not just even if I am the only person in the brewery or the cellar, like I can't make alcohol <laughs> myself. Like that is very much a collaborative process with the the yeast that I'm using. So I don't know, it takes, yeah. takes a village. <laughs> yeah. And you, so you primarily make Saison. Um, and you've, you know, been on quite a few podcasts talking about Saison, but one of the things that we were talking about earlier was, um, your, your love of Saison and something that I kind of want to like touch on and, 
um, we don't have to go too far into beer, but one of the things that I want to touch on is uh, in our conversation, you said that you love the philosophy of Saison. And I didn't ask more questions then because I wanted to have that conversation now. So what do you mean by Saison on a philosophical level, loving it in that in that way? Oh, man. Yeah, you, I'm sure, already know that I could talk about Saison forever. So I'll try not to just wax poetic for a really long time. But um, I don't know. I I have a lot of friends in the industry that I feel like have a very technical appreciation for the style. And though I also appreciate the technical parameters for the style that have been kind of laid out by various organizations like BJCP and the BA and whatever. Um, and obviously there is like a very rich history around the style, some romantic ideas behind it that may or may not be entirely real. Um, for me, Cezanne is a very, uh, it's a very special beer style. Like it is not really beholden to any like school of thought or specific location or uh, I don't know, it kind of exists on its own. It for me is like the most, it is the style that most represents kind of like existentialism I guess like mm -hmm. it is beer for beer's sake it is it is whatever it is like it is whatever you want to make it as a beer maker mm -hmm. um I don't know in my mind it's one of the more like blank slate kind of beers mm -hmm. so it's both agricultural and industrial historically it is both raw material driven but it's also very yeast driven um it's traditional, but it can also be very avant-garde. You know, it can be mm -hmm. very experimental and you can throw in all kinds of different ingredients if you want, though some people, more purists would say that you're not supposed to do that. Right. Um, but I don't know, for me, like the style very much exists both within and beyond all of those dichotomies um, and embodies balance and texture and drinkability, which are, in my opinion, the three most important attributes in beer. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely my favorite style and uh, I've dedicated a large part of my career to learning how to make it and understand it and experience it. <laughs> yeah. Like really confining definitions and rules can in some ways be helpful if you're, you know, looking for um, some kind of touch point of like what to do and, and how to make it. And Cezanne kind of like, opens up a really broad palette for you to play with. So it, it requires a decent amount of creativity to be able to play um, while also making something delicious <laughs> and fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I and I mean, it's, you know, there are plenty of people that make Saison with single strains of lab cultivated yeast. And I think that that's great. I've had plenty of really amazing beers that way. Um, but I think it's also really and obviously you can make just about any beer style with a mixed culture of yeast and bacteria, but I think that the style of Saison really lends itself especially well to that approach to fermentation. Um, not every beer style I feel like is as agreeable to that approach. So I don't know, for me, it is the most natural 
I don't know, direction for when it comes to like really collaborating with a collection of microorganisms for fermentation. Yeah, I love your language around collaborating with the microorganisms. Like they they are our teammates. <laughs> they really are like, I don't know, man, like my time at Jester King, there were plenty of times where, you know, we'd have like, obviously we're using the same mixed culture. We're maintaining it in house. Not really, you know, when, when I first started there, we did a ton of like cell counts and we're a bit more, uh, I'm not going to use the word scientific, but let's say a degree or two beyond scientific. We weren't really, you know, we did the cell counts, but it was still a very by feel kind of approach to, to the beer making there. Um, but, you know, we'd have some beers that would perform exactly the way that we thought or, you know, the fermentations, we thought they would perform a certain way and they would. And then other times the fermentation would go in a direction that was like, what the heck happened? We had no idea why, um, but the sensory, the final product from a fermentation perspective was completely different than what we were expecting. And that was always really intriguing to me. Um, and, you know, more recently with the beers that I've made under the Keeping Together label, uh, which I've really obviously loved doing and I'm looking forward to doing more of once we get this new brewery up and running. Um, it kind of, I ended up in this place where it was like, I would have a concept for a beer. And, and when I say concept for a beer, it would be like a final finished product, a final sensory experience that I wanted to create and kind of working backwards from there. How was I going to create that experience? And obviously being such a yeast driven style and approach the fermentation profile would be a pretty big part of that. And so, you know, I would I'd start making the beer, I would do the hot side thing and, you know, I'd pitch. And then a couple of days later, I'd come in and be like, okay, this is interesting. The yeast decided it was going to go a completely different direction. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I could either at, you know, various points in time when this would happen, like, well, I could either try to like force this thing back on track the way that I want it to go and have this final finished product the way that my mind thought it would be in the beginning, or I could let the yeast tell me what needs to happen next and we will pivot and we will go this other direction because I think that at this point would be far more interesting. And I remember using, I've used this metaphor a time or two before, but like, it's kind of like if you were to try to paint a picture with another person and you'd come in and you would do one brush stroke and then that's all you could do for the day until this other person came in and they did their brush stroke. And you may or may not have the same idea in your minds for what you want that painting to be at the end, but each stroke is an opportunity to start over completely and to go in a completely different direction with whatever that final product will be. And that's very much how I feel when I am making beer with this mixed culture. It's like, if the yeast decides that it wants to go a different direction, who am I? to be like, no, you need to go back that way. And we're going to go this direction and we're going to taste like this. Like, it just feels like I don't want to stranglehold the thing and try to force it into my will or bend it to my will when it really is not at that point entirely my creation. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does make sense. <laughs> it's a collaborative process. Um, and it's, I think it's a unique approach to, um, to product development is kind of like 
listening to what the materials are telling you, kind of feeding off of each other. And um, I guess like not necessarily willing it to be, but bringing something along that should be or, or is is I don't know I don't want to get too spiritual about it but <laughs> I know I know I feel I'm like I don't want to sound super woo woo but at the same time like <laughs> you're a little woo woo <laughs> I hug the tanks you know like I talk mm-hmm. to the yeast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um well I do want to get more into the woo woo stuff in a minute um but while we're on your brand while we're on keeping together um I kind of want to talk about that and what your what your journey has looked like with that Um, if anyone knows keeping together brand, um, you will, one of the first or second things that you'll notice is your kind of unconventional naming system for your beers. Um, you've named beer, like one of your beer names is human intention is sacred or from (laughs) the outer edge of inner space, (laughs) but you're trying to tell me that you're not woo woo, but your, your beer is a different story. Um, so I, I'm curious about like what went into taking that approach to naming your beers, uh, how you do name them and what that means to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose it is a little woo woo, uh, at times. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about this before, even maybe on a podcast in the past, but like my dad, who was, uh, very close to me, he passed away in 2012, but he was a very, uh, important figure in my life and continues to be his memory um, anyway. And he was definitely a bit more of a metaphysical type of individual. Uh, he was born in, he, he was like 40 when I was born. He was born in 1947 and, uh, you know, was in Vietnam, came back. He grew up in Chicago, um, came back. And like, I think a lot of individuals that lived during that time was, uh, I don't know, seeking more mind expansion and various kind of metaphysical topics and uh, was very interested in all of that stuff. So when he passed away, I inherited his collection of books. Um, He was for quite a long time as a younger person, a hypnotist, um, studied NLP, neuro-linguistic programming and things like that. And so I've always been kind of drawn to those things. I find it all very fascinating. Um, I generally have this, I like, I guess, ideology or I don't want to use the term belief system, but entertain everything, believe nothing. I think Mm -hmm. that uh, it's not as nihilist as it sounds either. It's very much just like I'm happy and willing to change what I understand reality to be based on new information. Um, and I apologize for all of that kind of stream of consciousness, but basically I understand that words are extremely important. I think we're living in a time when a lot of people are understanding just how important the words we use are. Um, and so given that this is my creative medium, uh, I try to be intentional with every kind of aspect of it. So the names are a big part of that. I think that, um, I don't know, I like collecting kind of phrases and words from various things that I read in various places and uh, utilizing those for beer names. So I've got kind of like a book of names that I go through every once in a while. Sometimes the name is a prompt for a beer 
And sometimes a beer requires that I go through the book and see if I can't find a name that fits it. Um, but like at the end of the day, when somebody sits down and they're reading the menu and they see my beer on the, on the menu and they're like, I would like that. I want, I love the idea of kind of planting that seed in their mind and requiring that they say those words out loud. Human attention is sacred is like a really great example. Um, it's something that we give away all the time without really thinking about it. You know, you might sit there and scroll on social media. I know that I do that myself plenty mm-hmm. more than I should. Um, but, you know, like that is just like time. You're not going to necessarily get that back. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I really like the idea of kind of creating uh, these mantras that people are required to say if they want to taste the beer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's like kind of calling people into the conversation, um, which like goes along with the ethos of the, you know, keeping together brand. There's a, um, I I think there's a restaurant in LA or something where every name of a dish is like an affirmation and you like have to say it as such. It's like, I am, I will take the, I am beautiful. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, I think it does like change the way that you feel and you think. And I don't know, I'm looking forward to having a beer menu at my tap room that has all of these things listed. Can't wait. Let's talk about your tap room. Um, Uh, So tell me about um, you're, you're kind of in the thick of it. You're in the thick of building, keeping together. And I think a lot of times people talk about building a brewery after the fact as they're reflecting on it. So I hope to get a really raw impression (laughs) Yeah. Of what building a brewery actually feels like. So you're building this brewery in Santa Fe. You've done, um, you've worked at Jester King and you've um, contracted at, at different breweries or used different facilities. So this is a, a little bit of a different thing. So um, what about this process is kind of sticking out to you? Like what's, what surprised you maybe in the process of building your brewery? Oh man. Um, yeah. So this has definitely been a challenging experience. Um, we are under contract for a property here in New Mexico. This is actually the second property that we've gone under contract on. The first one fell through. Um, so there's part of me that still feels a little anxious about speaking too much about it in the event that something were to go wrong and it fall through again and we have to start all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as like specifics on exactly where it is, You'll have to wait and see for that once we're signed on the dotted line, um, which hopefully will be soon. But I'd say that like this experience, you know, I've been in the industry for over 10 years now. And um, at Jester King, I wore many hats and was on the leadership team there and, um, you know, contributed to some of the business development and strategy and managed all of our offsite events. And along with that, some of the marketing type stuff. Um, and then of course, all of the production for a long time. Um, so I felt like for the most part, I had been exposed to most, if not all of the different elements of what goes into running a brewery. Um, and then during my time in Chicago at keeping or at half acre, where I was brewing and fermenting all of the keeping together beers, um, you know, I basically did everything myself with the exception of drawing of like creating the art for the labels um and doing some of the compliance stuff because that was all under half acres ttb brewer's note 
brewer no brewer's notice. Um, so, but I was managing, you know, just about everything in the background otherwise, um, raw materials and, you know, the costing and how we were more or less kind of splitting the, the profit for the beers that we were selling. Um, so the one part of all of this that I had not done before was actually buy a commercial building and attempt to turn it into a brewery. <laughs> so <laughs> that has been an incredible learning experience. And, you know, there is some content out there in the world um, on like podcasts and articles on like how to build a brewery and how to write your business plan and how to buy commercial real, real estate and all of these things. And what I realized very early on was like there is no one right way to do any of this. There are like innumerable ways to do this. Like, mm -hmm. and everybody has a different approach and a different story. And I don't know that there are very many pieces of content out there that go really in depth into what it takes and what you can do. And at every juncture, there is like, well, if you do this, you'll have to do all, you know, there's like the cascade of events that occur if you mm -hmm. decide to finance this way. Whereas if you decide to finance this way, it's going to be a completely different experience. Um, so my partner and I are going the route of um, an SBA, like 504 loan. And so far it's been, we, the bank we're working with is fantastic. They've been extremely supportive, um, but getting this financing takes a really long time and you basically have to have all of your ducks in a row before they close on the loan and you need them to close on the loan before you can close on the property. So you basically have to put in, you know, we've put in a ton of money in uh, architect, like design fees between the architects and the engineers and everything. And then uh, money down for earnest money for the property and money down for the brew house itself, things like that, that are just like, it, it's so much. And it's all stuff that I've never done before. So it's constantly just like, well, how do you do that? How do you even talk to engineers about these things? And like, how do you talk to the bank about financing? I don't understand. You know, I, I was a science person. I never took finance yeah. classes. I thought I had was really lucky in avoiding all of that. And here I am really wishing that I had done a little bit more of that. Um, but I feel really grateful to have the support network that I do. Um, I, you know, have plenty of friends that I've asked for help and just, which is not easy either really for me, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because it is like this place of vulnerability where you're like, well, I actually, I have no idea. I have no idea how to do that. So how did you do that? <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. like where do you even start? So it's been an incredible journey thus far. And we're finally at a place where we have like 3d renderings of the space, which makes it feel nice. real and feels really good. Um, and I'm just so, so excited to get this thing off the ground so that I can make beer again. It's been a long time since I've been in the brew house and I've got like the creative itch and yeah, I'm thinking about, I don't know, recipes and ingredients and things like that. So yeah. um, in between thinking about all of the money and the compliance and all of that stuff. Yeah. So it's, been, it's been a lot. Yeah. If there's like one thing that you could kind of bury away in your time capsule that like you want to remember about this particular process where you're at right now, 
What do you think that would be? Oh man, what a great question. I would say from a like personal perspective, it's that like you can apply your resilience to so many different things. You know, you can be, I consider myself to be a fairly resilient person. Um, that doesn't mean that things aren't hard. So I guess uh, for me, the thing would be like, it is truly one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And like, you have experienced hard things before, you will experience hard things again. And this is just another one of the things that will be on that list. But you'll yep. make it through. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is, good. this is good advice. Yeah, when you're in it, it's hard to kind of have that perspective when you're building something. Um, but it's just kind of chipping away at all those little marks. Yeah. Um, so I want to get more into New Mexico and why you chose to be in New Mexico. Um, but first, we're going to take a short break for this message and then come right, right, right back for more of this conversation with Avery Swanson of Keeping Together. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D. TEA.com slash blog. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Okay, Avery, I want to talk to you about New Mexico and why you chose to be in the desert. And um, I'm from New Mexico. I grew up in Albuquerque. I'm a Lobo. I went to University of New Mexico. I didn't leave New Mexico until I was um, in my in my mid-20s. And um, my heart is still there in many ways. Um, and, you know, we just recently spent a couple of months in Santa Fe, my partner and I, and we got to hang out a decent amount, which was really lovely. So I'm always curious uh, when people move to New Mexico, <laughs> why they choose <laughs> to go to New Mexico, um, especially coming from a city. So um, I'm curious what drew you to New Mexico. And now that you live there, what have you kind of been learning about the space? Yeah, New Mexico is a wild place. Um, I love that you're from there, here, uh, and really feel like you and your partner should just move here and live here permanently, yes. <laughs> you know, since it's your heart's already here, you might as well. Um, 
Um, yeah, I don't know, man. New Mexico has always been kind of a special place for me. Uh, the Southwest generally has been a really special place for me. Uh, growing up as a native Texan, I came out this way a fair amount as a kid with my family on vacations and things like that. You know, the trip to the Grand Canyon and things like that. Um, my dad always really loved Arizona. So we would generally pass through New Mexico, spend a bit of time here on our way out there. Um, so when we were first looking at moving from Chicago back, to, I say back to the Southwest, but because in my mind, Texas is kind of similar, though I know Texas is very much its own thing. Um, and folks in the Southwest would probably be upset to hear me say that Texas is part of the Southwest. <laughs> it's very much its own thing. <laughs> it's very much its own thing. Um, more and more so every day. Um, but, um, I don't know. I really wanted to make my way back out this direction. Um, there's a lot of parallels I feel between the topography, um, and just kind of like the vibe of the Texas hill country and some of Northern New Mexico. I think Northern New Mexico is like, Oh man, people in Texas are going to be upset, but I think it's way, it's beautiful here. It's way more beautiful. And it's just, there is this incredible spirit of like resistance and resilience here um, that I absolutely love. Uh, you know, it is not, I don't know, the desert is not a, an especially forgiving place. Like it requires a bit of surrender from the people that live here, surrender to like the, the elements and the land. Um, I don't know. I just really love, you know, the sky is very big here. It really, for me, kind of reminds me of where I am in the grand scheme of the world. You know, I'm yeah. small and this planet is magnificent and I'm lucky to be here. And that's what the desert reinforces for me. <laughs> it really does. I mean, I, I left New Mexico when I was in the, my mid twenties and I moved to Arizona briefly. And then I was in um, Davis. So I was in Northern California for some time and then Colorado and whatever. But um, I feel like growing up there, you kind of have this healthy fear of your environment. Um, the, the thunderstorms are so magnificent and powerful um, and kind of scary in some ways. Yeah. Like I've been caught in the mountains multiple times in the middle of a major thunderstorm and not a lot of people have experienced that. So I, I recognized when I moved to Northern California that I had this ingrained kind of respect for nature. And totally. um, like when, when there was a thunderstorm, I, I distinctly remember being like, okay, well, we got to seek shelter. And I was with somebody and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you, <laughs> have you never been in a thunderstorm? Like we have to get to lower ground. <laughs> and it's, it's just the thing that, that the desert teaches you. Um, Cause it, it, it can snatch you up pretty quickly. Um, not, not to mention the, the fires and the heat and the exposure. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not something that you kind of recognize unless you've been in the mountains and kind of felt that fear. Yeah, totally. I mean, we are, you know, we moved here a little over a year ago and last summer was like, was an incredible monsoon season. We had tons of rain and, uh, Pat was like, I want the desert's not that bad. 
I'm like, yeah, it's great here. <laughs> he's from Minnesota originally. And so he's like, I want, I like snow and, you know, calm, cool weather. And I'm like, yeah, we'll get plenty of that here too. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, um, and then this last winter got a fair amount of snow, um, which is nice. He skis a lot. I, as a Texan, don't understand snow sports really. Uh, conceptually it doesn't click for my brain um but he went skiing a ton and now it's been a very hot and very dry summer which i think is very much more par for the course out here and growing up in texas this was pretty normal for me too um but just within the last few days we've had some pretty awesome monsoon thunderstorms we got a ton of rain yesterday um you know just like the diurnal shifts here every day are amazing and kind of wild and not like something that I've ever really experienced being at this altitude. We're at like 7,200 feet. So a pretty high and, you know, it might be 80 degrees during the day. And then at night it's like 60. So that's Mm -hmm. a pretty significant shift, but I didn't really experience that in Chicago or Austin or Houston. Um, I don't know. It's beautiful and it's rugged and it's raw. Uh, and like the people here, it's just, it's so interesting. Like after I moved from Texas where I lived my whole life to Chicago, which to some extent felt a little familiar because my dad was from there, but people there are hardcore, you know, when it comes to weather and stuff too. Like when I moved there in 2019, I moved there and like two days later was like a polar vortex um, mm-hmm. to the point where they shut down all of the trains in Chicago, which at the time they were like, this hasn't happened. And decades um Mm -hmm. and people were like yeah we don't need to shut down the trains I don't care if it's a negative 20 like we need to get to work or whatever and I was Mm -hmm. like this is crazy y'all you know like y'all are rugged as hell like I (laughs) stay home man it's like you go outside and your skin wants to fall off because it's so cold um but that was kind of shocking to me and then moving here uh also still had like a familiarity, not necessarily an expectation for how people would be, but like a general kind of familiarity for how folks respond over time to elements like this. And people Mm -hmm. here are hardcore and rugged, you know, like it's not, I don't know. It's no joke. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's definitely no joke. Um, I want to mention something that you and I talked about the other day which is this kind of concept of the lack of ownership of the land. Um, You know, being, I was, I was telling you that being from there, like I've never felt like it was mine by any, like I never felt like it was any, I had any kind of like ownership of the, of the land. And I think that that's really intentional. If you look at the major cities in New Mexico, it's all, surrounded um by reservation land and it's mm-hmm. it's very much in your face like this is this is not ours um yeah and i think that that's the, there's always that that reminder in in the food and in the culture and in the people and in, it just in, in your surroundings and it's something that you had mentioned so i'm wondering if you could kind of talk through that yeah i mean new mexico is such an incredible place it's one of the more diverse states in the country um you know there's obviously and a large number of indigenous populations that live here. Um, I want to say there's like 23 federally recognized tribal nations in New Mexico. Um, 
and you know just within the santa fe area in northern new mexico there's i think it's like 19 different pueblos but it's i don't know it really does i think even just beyond that like obviously this part of the world has seen many different peoples living here and thriving but also many different peoples coming here and uh colonizing it and attempting to make it their own and i think that that spirit of like resistance very much lives in the land and in the peoples that have been here forever um where it's like we will not just allow this like you can't come in here and just own this place you know no one owns the land here um and it's a really again it kind of like puts you in your place and you remember that you are not that important in the grand scheme of things and that the world is much bigger than you um in moving from austin to chicago i felt a bit like okay i'm moving to a new place and I need to kind of like, you know, there was an element of like starting over with my beer making and my, you know, career and whatever and making new friends. And though I had some friends there, it's, it still felt very much like kind of a new beginning. Um, and so I was very much anticipating that moving here to New Mexico as well. But honestly, it's been a, almost like a little bit easier because I maybe because I was anticipating it or because that is just like the general spirit of the place where it's mm -hmm. like, OK, there will be a probationary period where you can prove yourself, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, like, can you hang with the elements in the land? Um, can you sit back and be respectful and honor like the history of this place because like honestly there's not really a, a way to exist here without it um mm -hmm. like without honoring that uh because like you said it's it's everywhere um you would have to be i don't know delusional to pretend mm -hmm. like it doesn't exist here so yeah i don't know it's very energizing and uh exciting place would you say enchanting <laughs> enchanting yes even even enchant the land of enchantment yeah <laughs> yes um okay yeah. so i um i i totally agree with you on all that stuff it's it is expansive and big and um if you let it it can just be really awe-inspiring um i just i love the southwest i love the desert um so to to wrap up the the conversation around Santa Fe. I want to do a Santa Fe speed round. Ooh, <laughs> I want to ask oh, you, are you ready? I want to do a couple of questions. Yeah, let's All try. right. <laughs> what is your favorite New Mexico dish? Oof. I'm very much on the green chili uh, train. I know that it's green, red, or Christmas. Um, and I like red chili also, but I always prefer green chili. So I never even, I never even bother with the Christmas. Um, I would say that my favorite dish is probably, yeah, like green chili beef enchiladas would probably be my go-to. <laughs> um, I am definitely on board with the sopapillas, which 
you know, are served with like everything here. So yeah, you still need would to be take my me second. to your churro place too. Yes. Um, that was actually going to be my second question, which was red or green. But I love that the, your answer to favorite New Mexico dish was just <laughs> green chili. Green chili. <laughs> just period. <laughs> and that's big words coming from a Texan too. Yeah. Um, so great. Green chili. Um, do you have a favorite mark place that you found in Santa Fe? Oh, man. You know, I would say that my favorite is probably La Choza. Yeah. Um, I try margaritas just about everywhere we go because, you know, mm -hmm. beer is work. And, uh, yeah. and so I don't like to work when I'm going out. Uh, but I'd say La Choza is probably my favorite. They also have a number of other really great cocktails. Um, La Choza is great. Yeah, La Choza is really good. Tequila or mezcal? Oh, man, mezcal hands down. It's been my, I have an, ag I have an agave tattooed up the, like the back of my leg. It has been my, my spirit animal for a long time. So very much love mezcal. <laughs> You're agave plant. Love it. Um, roadrunner or coyote? <laughs> roadrunner, but primarily because of the like symbolism and mythology behind it, I find so fascinating. Um, so we live a little bit outside of town uh, and are surrounded by some trees and land and stuff. And uh, we're just renting a house out here, but um, there is a roadrunner or at least a few that live like, and are pretty, they're like out a fair amount. And one day I was, uh, I was sitting by one of the windows and saw this roadrunner hop up onto like a stump and it had a lizard in its mouth. And it was just like hanging out with this lizard like cooing uh and so I was like man I like how curious um and you know like my pre-beer life I did some like behavioral ecology research and you know it's like if people will pay me to sit around and watch animals that would be dope so um you know I've like put on my behavioral ecology hat and I'm like looking up like okay what are the morphologies between the males and the females blah 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 pretty positive it was a male who was like a, trying to attract a mate um and had a gift of a lizard in its mouth that it wanted to give to, you oh, know, prospective mates. It was pretty cool. Uh, you know, food is a great way to the heart. So, uh, but at any rate, I like went down a rabbit hole and was reading about um, some of the like mythology and symbolism. And apparently it is thought that uh, when you see the roadrunner, it's like good luck. Um, and if you are lost, you want to follow the roadrunner because it will take you where you're supposed to go. Um, and apparently their feet are in the shape of an X. So if you find their tracks, you don't know, you can't track them. You don't know which direction they're going because they've got like X feet, which I thought was really cool. Wow. So, coy so coyotes are, are cool too. And I've seen those out here also, uh, and heard a bunch of them last night outside, but, uh, the roadrunner I think is my favorite the roadrunner special i love that he had a little treat um, yeah for his for his girlfriend yeah so special um all right that was great uh i have a couple more scariest desert creature that you've come across oh man that's a good question because there are plenty <laughs> um you know what i'm gonna say the tomato hornworm <laughs> Just because the the threat of it eating all of my plants right now has been very top of mind. Um, 
I did find a snake in the house not that long ago. It was just a bull snake. So it wasn't like super scary. And Mm -hmm. considering that I find mice in the house pretty regularly also, I was like, okay, you can stay. You're chill, like outside, but you can stay. Um, But yeah, I, I realized the other day that like one of my tomato plants was just like completely was like losing foliage. And I was like, what is going on? And I went out there and there was a tomato hornworm there were two huge ones that were like the size of my index finger. And I was like, Oh God, uh, pulled it off. And it was like clicking extremely loud at me. It was so bizarre, but yeah. So those are out here. They turn into these huge moths apparently. Ugh. Um, but yeah, I'm learning about all kinds of new creatures out here. <laughs> it's, it's nice when you can find the ones that are on your team, like the little bull snake, just yes. eating the mice. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thanks for doing that with me. That was fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I want to know what scary New Mexico creatures you've seen out here in the wild. Oh. I know you're big into hiking and stuff too. Yeah, there, the, let's see. Um, I mean, there are plenty of scorpions. Um, are you familiar with the bug called, like, what is it called? Like child, like children, like child of the sun. Um, interesting no yeah I wish we could do video on this podcast because they are so scary um I'm gonna actually look up the name just so that I I I don't um I don't get it wrong but it's it's something like that um and and it's they're really really gross (laughs) and they're really really big um oh they call it child of the earth I'm sorry it's child of the earth okay and they're they're not, I, they, they bite. Um, so they're, they're pretty bad for the the plants too. Um, but they are the craziest looking creatures. They just look like these alien bugs. And, um, the first, I just remember the first time that I saw when I was a kid and I just thought that it was like the scariest thing in the world. Um, and you, you see them <sighs> occasionally. So you'll, you'll know it when you see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really funky looking. Um, but they're, they're not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna kill you. Um, I've seen some bobcats, which I mean, it's, it's hard when you come across a bobcat, bobcat, because they're so cute. Um, and they're, they're relatively small, but you, like, they will kind of be aggressive if, if you're in their way. Um, Yeah. Apparently they like to be on the roofs of houses out here. Oh, it's kind of (laughs) cute. Yeah. Yeah. Just like. And we have like an atrium in the middle of the house um, where like the tomato plants and stuff are. And after we heard that the bobcats, bobcats like to hang out on the roofs and they will like actually jump on people and things like that. It was very much a like, maybe we shouldn't be out there at night. You know, like <laughs> that's kind of a crazy because like, where do you go? Like the, the thing can't, wouldn't be able to run away, you know, yeah. if it jumped into the atrium. Yeah, <laughs> we've seen them out here and it's, they are, they're really beautiful creatures but yeah they're definitely one of the scarier there's also mountain lions out here I haven't seen one of those yet and yeah you know hope to not see one super close not super close yeah I've seen a couple bears but um bears aren't all that common and they're generally just black bears they're pretty chill um but yeah so many creatures and of course plenty of snakes 
I learned the lesson really early on not to be in the mountains with headphones on because yep. rattlesnakes will tell you that they are there. You just have to be able to hear them and listen yes. to them. So it's a great they point. Tell you. <laughs> yeah. So I avoid headphones in, in the desert and in Colorado because um, I'll tell you. So yeah, lots of great creatures. Um, well, I'm so glad that you're there and I, I actually get to see you next week. I'm, I know I'm excited. The guild conference. So that, that should be fun. Um, so as we, as we wrap up, I had a couple more questions. Um, one is you, like so many people look up to you, like what you do in, in beer is really quite unique and special. And if anybody hasn't had your beer, you should go, go get, go get Avery's beer because it's really quite amazing. Um, so a lot of people look up to you, respect what you're doing, but I want to know who your mentors are. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a tough question because there've been so many people that have been like massively influential for me and my learning and growth over the years in the industry. Um, but I would say that like the person that stands out most in my mind is, uh, probably Ron Extract. Uh, he was one of the managing partners at Jester King when I got started there and is a good friend. Um, and, you know, Ron had been in the industry for so long. And when I got started at JK, I was pretty young. I was maybe 24, maybe. Um, and, you know, like, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and was just like wanted to soak up as much information as I possibly could and Ron had done just about all the things in beer you know he had worked for Shelton Brothers for a long time so had a really incredible first of all he's brilliant and has just like an incredible uh memory and working in distribution working in import uh his knowledge of all of the laws and everything surrounding all of that. I was just, it was a world I had never been exposed to and found so fascinating. Um, so I don't know. I just, I learned so much from him, from him. He was also a brewer. So I learned a ton about like technical brewing stuff mm -hmm. from him. Um, I don't know. I definitely consider him to be a mentor and uh, he's, He's been up in uh, Washington State. He and his partner, Amber, started a, a fermentation mecca of sorts up there called Garden Path mm -hmm. Fermentation. They make beer and wine and cider and mead and things like that. Um, and all of their stuff is great. So I'm very grateful that I was in the right place at the right time and was able to learn from him. Yeah. Yes. It's, you didn't necessarily like choose to be around the people that end up being your mentors, but it's yeah. special when you kind of come across them. Um, yeah. All right. Just to wrap up, I, a Andrea asked me this question. Um, she and I got to chat um, for in, in the previous episode and I hope to continue passing this question forward. Um, but she asked me what right now is bringing you joy? And we'll, we'll finish with that question. It is a great question. Um, oh man, you know, honestly, being out here has been such an incredible change in my life, um, out here in New Mexico. I'd say one of the things that brings me most joy is probably just being able to 
like the access that we have to the outdoors out here, we go hiking a fair amount. So, um, do at least one pretty long hike every week. And that has been very therapeutic and, uh, extremely healing and definitely Mm. brings me joy. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a big change of pace from the city to bring in that mountain air. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Avery. This was a lot of fun. Avery, where can people learn more about you and your projects? I have also had a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, I would say the easiest way is probably, you know, you can look at the website that's uh, keepingtogether.com. Um, you can also follow along on Instagram. Um, I've done all of the social media for keeping together under my personal handle. So it's at Avery Swanson. Um, and we will eventually be changing that to keeping together at keeping together beer. The handle does exist. Um, but I haven't started posting anything under that yet. So that will be, that will be soon. Great market, like follow all the things. And I will do a yes. shameless plug of, uh, my new podcast. I just started yes. a podcast with draft lab this week. Um, it is not out yet, but it will be probably by the time that this one, um, launches it will be um it's called why this so you can search for it under the name um and we love basically it. talk about uh fun products and why people love them and what gets people excited about different things um Amazing. and of course avery you're going to be back on the next episode of this show as the host having a conversation with a brewer of your choosing um so that's going to be on the air in about two weeks so make sure you tune in for that And of course, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Lindsay Barr of Draft Lab Sensory Software. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. For an easy hop sourcing experience, Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com.